Aloha! Welcome to Abe's Ukulele Podcast, a podcast for teachers and players of the ukulele to get some knowledge and inspiration. I'm Abe. Thank you so much for joining me. On today's episode, I sat down with Paul Hemmings in his New York City studio. We talked about jazz, amps, and the mysterious Goldilocks strap. But first, I've got a new website for the show, ukpodcast.com. So if you want to help the show grow by sharing it with a friend, all you have to do is send them to ukpodcast.com. Huge thanks to Cameron from Kamuk Magazine and my friends Stuart, Cynthia, and Chris for the kind words about the show. Y'all are all amazing. If you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, I'd like to invite you to try the Radio Public app. Personally, I think it's a big improvement over the default podcast apps. It's free, and it just got a sweet update. It has this awesome new feature called Hear Marks. It's like a bookmark or a sticky note, but for a podcast episode. If you've ever heard something in a podcast and wanted to go back to that exact spot anytime you wanted, you can do that with Hear Marks. To try out Radio Public, check out the link in the show notes. It works for Android and Apple. Finally, if you're new to the show and haven't heard my music before, we should rectify that. You can go to ukuleleabe.com to listen to the music I've made. That's my main thing after all. And without further ado, here's the show. Paul Hemmings used the ukulele to fuse together elements of modern jazz, free improvisation, and American roots music that has been called bold, beautiful and full of promise. With six albums under his belt, Paul performs regularly in New York City as the leader of an ukulele bass drum trio, interpreting his own originals and renditions of modern standards. Paul has made appearances in the ukulele festival scene throughout the world and has attained a reputation for compelling performances and accessible workshops. Since 2001, he has been teaching students of all ages at the Third Street Music School Settlement, the oldest community music school in the U.S. He also holds a degree from the acclaimed Jazz Performance Program at the New School University in Manhattan's Greenwich Village. All right, I'm here in New York City at Paul Hemmings' studio. Welcome. Thank you for uh, inviting me here. This is a wonderful musical place. So. I wanted to talk to you, Paul, because you are a great jazz ukulele player. Um, but to start of off, you. I wanted to ask you why, why jazz and why ukulele jazz? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I get the impression that that a lot of times people, when they think about jazz, that it's like a particular style or genre mm-hmm. that that pops into mind. Um, and for me, it's not about that at all. It's not about repertoire or a particular book of songs or, mm. or anything like that. It's way more about an approach mm. to playing music. And, and I guess it's all rooted in, in improvisation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I certainly didn't grow up thinking, oh, my God, you know, I, that, with a burning desire, I have to be a jazz <laughs> musician or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Far, far from it. Um, the first music that I got into was like, you know, 60s rock and roll and blues mm-hmm. music and stuff like that through my through my dad. Um, certainly an appreciation for classical music from my mother. 
Mm. Um, but when I started getting in, into playing music, it, it was that, you know, it's like mm-hmm. it was rock tunes and stuff like that. Yeah. And I just wanted to get better at doing that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what led me down the road. You know, I wanted to be able to, to solo, like to mm-hmm. take a great rock god guitar mm-hmm. solo kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was that whole search about how do I just become a better musician um, that led me down the road to, to improvisation mm-hmm. in particular. And it, after I got really, really deep into it, then, uh, yeah, it, it, it kind of seems more that that's the label that gets affixed to it. I wouldn't necessarily, I don't know. That's not true either. It's, it, it, you ask any <laughs> jazz musician, it's, it's, it's a four letter word. Mm-hmm. That's all. <laughs> it's, uh, it's to the uninitiated. It, it's, it's, um, maybe, maybe it does give you a sense of, um, you know, the songs you're going to hear or the style or something like that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like it, it might be just the most far out kind of stuff that, uh, I don't know. What am I trying to say? Like anything that can encompass Louis Armstrong and or Nick Coleman mm-hmm. under the same umbrella, hmm. there must be a lot going on to the music there. It's very interesting when you think about, um, when I think of jazz, uh, in general, I don't necessarily enjoy listening to it most of the time. But um, when I approach it from the perspective of a player, that's where I really start to just enjoy it more. Even as weird as some of it can be with certain chords and it's like, all these different additions. It's not just an A minor. You know, you got to add all these extra things, flat five, flat nine. That's where it gets like, as a listener, I'm like, mm, I don't know. But if I'm playing it and I can feel it, especially not by myself when I'm with a group, that's where I feel like it gets the most, uh, I don't know if the word is excitement. It's not always yeah. exciting, but that's where you feel like the lushness and how rich the music can be. Yeah, I, and, and, well, I think what, what you're talking about is the harmony, too, mm-hmm. uh, just the, the, the depth of the harmony that, that you find with the music. Um, so, yeah, I mean, jazz and improvisation in general, it's like you, you, that's kind of your first stop. Is you, mm-hmm. You'd better be pretty firmly rooted in a good understanding of harmony and how it works mm-hmm. to, to be able to work your way through, through tunes on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, moving from... A- if, if I'm just playing C, G, and F, for example, after a while it gets boring. Sometimes I'll just come back and I just love it and I can't get enough. But then after a while it's like, I need something a little more, so I'm going to make it a major seven. And then that's right. good enough. And then you might want to go back, keep it simpler, or get deeper, add a whatever, I don't know, sharp nine. <laughs> get crazy stuff. Um, so when you play jazz on the ook, do you mostly play high G or low G? For the most part, uh, I'll use a low G. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's primarily uh, to be able to get the voicings that I'm, that I'm looking for. Mm. Um, so for the most part, I'll, I'll stick with, uh, with, a, with a low G. Um, for certain effects and things like that, I mean, there are certain arrangements that, as you well know, of course, there are things that you can't mm-hmm. do without having that re-entrant tuning. Um, yeah. So there are certain things that, that of, uh, of course, I'll have set up like uh, 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 for using a high G. Um, but for the most part, especially mm. um, for soloing and, and that sort of thing, too, for the most part, I'll stick to uh, the low G. Yeah. That's very interesting. Because I, when I think of jazz on the ukulele, actually, it's the exact same reason. Um, the voicings, 
is how I think most of the time I prefer high G because of the clusters. Yeah. So, you know, just a bar across fret two, for example, you get two notes, the top string and the bottom string clashing. Right. Um, so that's that's very interesting that you say that. With the low G, the voicings. With the high G for me, it's the voicings. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny. For, for me, it's like when you have the re-entrant tuning, then it kind of forces your hand in some of those cluster voicings. Mm-hmm. And part of what I really love about the instrument is with the shorter scale length, mm-hmm. your fingers can stretch so much further. Oh, yeah. um, so you can really pull off these wild voicings that you can't on on instruments with, with a longer scale length. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like you 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 sort of have more control over the voicings that you come up with 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 the low G on it. Mm. Um, where, like I said, or like you said, when you mm-hmm. have the re-entrant tuning, it, it kind of forces your hand into these cluster voicings, which absolutely, I mean, could sound very cool, but there's mm-hmm. no off button for that yeah. when you have when you have that the t- uh, that tuning being mm-hmm. what it is. I guess maybe the closest would be a five string with the well, double, sure, the double right. fourth string. But even then, it's it's kind of different thing. You're playing entirely. both at the same time. Right. It's not quite the same. And just that one string too. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think I've ever heard or thought about um, the shortness of the ukulele as a benefit in terms of reaching a bigger spread of notes. I think that's awesome because usually I I generally think of the ukulele as a short, almost crippled guitar. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. or or maybe a nicer way to say it would be the sweet spot of the guitar. It's like the sweetest notes. Um, of course, it's way more portable. You play guitar too, right? I do, yeah. So it's kind of interesting just to hear that. I started on guitar myself, so um, yeah, usually I think of guitar as just, it, it can do more, but it's not necessarily true. It all depends on, like you said, what do you want to do? So with the spread of notes, um, like a, I'm thinking now of the Benny Chong thumb sure, bar. Sure, right. With the, what is it, 10 <laughs> fret spread, I think it is? <laughs> That's a crazy chord, but um, wow. No, that's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Play jazz, kids. <laughs> um, so what would you say to someone who says they don't like jazz, either listening to it or they don't like playing jazz? Um, what would I say? I Do you know. have any advice for us to get into it or want to get into it? Yeah, I guess looking, looking at it as being a process rather than a product Hmm. Um, I guess if you look at it in that regard, then, then that gives you an easier entry point to, to, you know, just sort of understanding that there's something to the art form of spontaneous composition. The Hmm. fact that people are getting together to make music on the spot, that a large portion of it is completely undetermined Hmm. at the outset of the downbeat of the tune. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing that and, and being able to listen to the conversation that's happening between musicians, I feel like that's a big part of getting into to, to being able to listen and, and appreciate jazz and improvised music. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. I think it's, uh, it's not necessarily a unique thing either to jazz. It's kind of interesting. Um, you, if you study bluegrass or even old, like, fiddle tunes from Ireland or Absolutely. something like that. It's kind of like there's a lot of the sense of once you know the song, okay, that's good, but now we're going to just do whatever with it. Right. And then the <laughs> interplay that that that's the result of that, mm-hmm. you know, like people being so intimately familiar with with a piece of music that yeah, you can start to expand on it mm-hmm. and 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 
come up with something else completely different right on yeah. the spot. Um, That's exciting yeah. for sure. Making up songs. Mm. I think in general, uh, the pressure of improvising or creating a song from nothing is pretty great. Um, so I, I love the the freedom jazz gives you to just do whatever in that sense, like just creating on the spot. I love that. Couldn't I'm not agree so good more. at jazz, but what I get out of it, I think it's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of not jazz, in 2006, you released a live, as you say, seamless stream of consciousness reinterpretation of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band Arguably the best album of all time, if not <laughs> one of the most amazing albums of Certainly all time. Certainly one of the um, most influential. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Could you tell me about that project? Of what, what, what is that? <laughs> yeah, that's that's been a minute now since uh, since I did that. Um, so that was a, a live performance. Um, I teach at uh, at a music school uh, here in New York, the Third Street Music School Settlement, and they have a um, like a faculty concert. Series. So every Friday they've got a different faculty member that uh, oh, cool. that put on a, a concert. Um, yeah, it's a very cool thing that they do over there. So uh, so that year I wanted to just do something that was as accessible as it could possibly be mm-hmm. to most of my at, at the time guitar students. Um, and so that was the idea was using the whole Sgt. Pepper's album as a springboard to you know like kind of approaching it. Um, in, in a jazz improvisation sort of a way, like using each of the tunes as uh, mm-hmm. as a springboard for some sort of in, instrumental uh, exploration of the tunes, I suppose. Um, mm. So, and it was just a live concert, and um, it was mostly trio. We had uh, some other instruments come and sit mm-hmm. in too, um, and we so, just played the whole album from beginning to end. Ook bass drums. Uh, so at that time, I was, it was mostly guitar. Uh, it was the first time. That I played ukulele in a, in front of an audience. It might have even been. I think that might have been just the summer after I had come back from Hawaii. Uh, so your debut performance, you just recorded an album. Okay, that's pretty uh, no, awesome. No, it wasn't. The, it it was just one song actually. Um, oh, okay. It was one. I'm sixty four. Hmm. That was the one tune that I used that's a good uh, one. Y- ukulele on. Um, and there Any was singers? another one. Uh, let's see. Was there was. Actually, it was that song. That was the only song oh, that, okay. uh, that that had a vocalist. Um, and I think if you check that out, there's even... It was Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds that I did on Cuban Trace. Wow. <laughs> wow. Just cool. solo solo Cuban Trace and uh, and a loop pedal. Yeah. Okay. What is what is that? Uh, Cuban Trace, actually, that's... Um, it's got some, some similarities, especially with the re-entrant tuning on the ukulele. Um, so you've got... Three courses of strings, so mm-hmm. it's 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 almost like you know if you have a twelve string guitar, it's six courses of okay. double strings, mm-hmm. right? So it's the same idea where you have three courses of double strings. Okay. So of course you end up getting six strings. Um, one is an octave apart, the other two are unisons, and it is a reentrant tuning. So mm. that was my first uh, foray into you know trying to explore. The whole concept of not having mm-hmm. all of the strings kind of move from low to high in a yeah. linear fashion um, completely messed with my head. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that and that was uh, when I was back in college. I, I took some lessons from a great Cuban trace player here in New York. That's great. Um, yeah, so that's a good instrument. Um, 
if you're listening. It's a good instrument to know about. It's related to the ukulele. But um, I don't think it's the direct descendant, right? Uh, I think well, they're all the kind of... Cavaquino? I don't know. Yeah. I can see it on paper. I don't think I've ever pronounced it out loud, so... <laughs> uh, well, they say the Cavaquino was the... That's what it is. The, yes. um, the, the direct predecessor to, uh, mm-hmm. to the ukulele, yeah. Mm. That's cool. So um, if I wanted to listen to that album, the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, live reinterpretation... By a jazz band. How could I listen to that? <laughs> oh, at this point, uh, that's long out of print. Um, it's a rare gem. Yeah, I'd have to dig up a CD and send it to you. Okay. I'm going to have to start looking through uh, thrift shop bins there and stuff. There you go. <laughs> it's out there somewhere. <laughs> Maybe it's time for a reissue of the reinterpretation. I don't know. That's cool. Okay, so back to the future. Uh, your last <laughs> album was released in 2015. Uh, personally, I feel that if you, the listener, um, care at all about jazz or uh, what the ukulele is capable of, I believe that you really should listen to that album. And I will put the link in the show notes. But my real question is this. Since this last album, what have you been up to? What's been going on? So since that, yeah, that thank you. That, that last album was really... Um, I was really happy with the way that that whole thing came together. Um, I, I love the material that's on it and I loved the musicians that I got to play with, um, with that record. Uh, unfortunately, right after I recorded that, it had this, just a string of a couple of years of, uh, not such great luck that, that started with, uh, the whole tour that I had to set up to promote that record it had mm-hmm. to get canceled. Because oh, I broke no. my wrist uh, oh, in a no. running accident. Wow! So it it started with that, and um, and the, yeah, the next couple of years was was just a pretty tumultuous time, and and it went from the beginning with me breaking my wrist to uh, at the end of that couple of years, I, I lost my my good friend and, and musical partner, who's the bass player on that record. That's Gaku, mm. uh, my good buddy Gaku Takanashi. Mm. Um, so he passed away, uh, mm. at the end of that time. Um, so in that, in that two, three years since then, I guess it's almost four years now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have literally been regrouping. <laughs> oh, okay. That's important. So yeah, we, uh, I've got a new trio now that, um, we're actually just about to start a new residency, uh, at a gig here in New York over at Mona's in the Very East cool. Village. So that'll be every Sunday night starting April 7th. Awesome. Um, we did have the chance to go and play at the the ukulele picnic in mm-hmm. Hawaii, ah. February before last. So that was the first time that we really kind of got together and traveled mm-hmm. together and uh, and started to work on some on some things. Um, so that's that's what I've been up to um, in in terms of um, having a group together to 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 play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in this last year, I started working on. Um, uh, a series of arrangements. This this year, I just released uh, the Duke on Uke book. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has uh, uh, some arrangements of Duke Ellington tunes, um, and I recorded some videos and and uh, some audio recordings to go along with, with each of those arrangements, and just finished posting those. Um, and that's just the first in in the pipeline. I've got some others mm-hmm. that that I'm that I'm working on right now. So you're back. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you were a runner. Yeah, That's well, I used cool. to be. I haven't. I haven't been since I broke that wrist. Yeah, I, well, I understand. 
I've been kind of slowly picking it back up. Have you? I yeah. go through phases. Usually every summer I run a lot more. And then at a certain point, it's usually not always with the cold, but generally the cold doesn't help yeah. when I try to restart my consistent habit of running. But I, mean, I, I, w- I was crazy about it. I used to keep such a schedule and mm-hmm. like through the winter months, snow, everything mm-hmm. just didn't matter at all. And I mean, maybe that's how I wound up <laughs> breaking my my wrist maybe, to begin with. <laughs> maybe it was a sign. You need to arrange Duke Ellington on <laughs> ukulele. That's looking on the bright side. To talk a bit more about your arranging, um, I did want to touch on like what, when you're arranging a song, what do you think about? What are your considerations? Um, consideration is mostly how to make it sound as good and smooth and full as possible on mm-hmm. on this little instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, with with all of the limitations that it has. I mean, I say limitations, but I I I I mean that in a good way. You know, it's like it kind of boxes you into. Mm-hmm. Uh, a certain finite number of of options, and yeah. there's still a lot that you can that you can do with it. Of course, mm-hmm. um, so that that's I guess that's really it is just trying to make it sound good and mm-hmm. trying to make it sound as full as you can on uh, with the limitations that you have of the instrument. Mm-hmm. Well, the arrangements in that book look fantastic. So if oh, you are listening, you. I highly encourage you to check it out. Um, is there like a general uh, difficulty progression, or how how easy or difficult would you say that the songs are? There's eighteen in the book, I believe. Yep, that's right. So th- there are there are eighteen tunes in there, um, and I really tried to make it as accessible as mm-hmm. possible, so that there's I mean, like we were talking about earlier, you know, to to at least give people like a little um, uh, a way to get into the to the music if they mm-hmm. if they don't have any experience playing yeah. uh, playing any of the music uh, before. Um, so yeah, there are things from sort of like simple counterpoint, Mm -hmm. um, to fully fleshed out, um, chord melody arrangements Mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't say it's material for the rank beginner, but certainly if you've been playing for a little bit, there are things Mm -hmm. that are in there and it's like I say to everybody too, it's like, for me, I had to learn everything 20 times from 20 different people. Mm -hmm. So if it's you know your first step into into having exposure to to the music, then hmm. that's a good step to take too, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, just take your time. You can get there. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, one of the things I noticed um, the song "Don't Get Around Much Anymore." Uh huh. Um, actually, James Hill's book uh, he has a duets for one. It came out recently. He arranged the same song, uh-huh. and one of the things I noticed uh, right away was. Uh, Right in the beginning, it's like dun 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 dun, dun. the walk up with that chord. In his version, he plays chords sliding up with all four strings used. But right, in your version, it. it's okay. two up. Um, and I assumed you can tell me if this is right or wrong. Huh. I assumed when you played your version, it's a little bit cleaner, so you can hear the melody a little bit better. And his version with some ukuleles, um, one of the ones I play. Um, it can get a little muddy, and also the the fingering isn't necessarily the easiest sometimes in certain shapes. So, why did you slide up? For example, right. that specific part that I'm talking about. Why did you decide to do it with just two strings? So that you can hear the conversation between those two parts of the melody, mm. so that that's a little bit more clear. 
Uh, right? That's the first statement. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the question. And then the answer is... Yeah. Right? And so if you split it... And, and that's one voice then against two voices, too, mm-hmm. so that they're, they're kind of distinct yeah. from one another. So it kind of sets up the call and response mm-hmm. thing a little bit more clearly, yeah. I think. Yeah, that's definitely what I was what I was going for anyway. Awesome, I got it. <laughs> I I love being able to um, not rely on every single string all the time. Yeah, just little things. What, whatever instrument it is, I love being able to tastefully um, use less. So I I love that part of that arrangement. I have not dived into them all, but yeah, that's thanks. one that stood out, and I just wanted to ask you about because um, I was curious. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it it, it the instrument is like a mini orchestra mm-hmm. in and of itself, and it's like if you have the whole orchestra blaring away mm-hmm. the whole time, then you kind of lose the the effect, right, of mm-hmm. having the whole dynamic range of yeah. the thing. Um, yeah, and, and case in point with that arrangement, too. So on the first A section... It's single notes, and then you have the response. In the second A section, though, it builds so that the the first melody is in thirds as well. Uh-huh. Um, and then I think in the last A section, it, it switches to um, to sixths. Wow, okay. Like that, too. Um, so that each time it's a little bit of a different texture. So, yeah, totally. I couldn't agree with you more. Like... Less is more, and mm-hmm. and uh, having that that whole range from a couple of strings to all four strings mm-hmm. um, certainly can help bring out th- those dynamics. Yeah, yeah. I I don't want to knock uh, James Hill's arrangement. Not at all. It's very good too. <laughs> but that's just one thing that stood out, um, and I love that. Especially I I used to play percussion in ensembles or in in orchestra, like concert band. Okay. It was. Um, I did not really enjoy it. It was fun, but that feeling of like, you don't need me to play the bass drum the whole time. Right. I know it doesn't sound good if I constantly play it, but I just want to. You know, I have to count the bars, <laughs> wait five minutes, and then I get some hits or the cymbal, whatever it is. Uh, you know, anytime there was some keyboard percussion parts, it's yeah. like, yes, I get notes, but usually it's not very long either. It's like one little riff and then you're done. Okay, I'm going to sit down, <laughs> take a break now. It's uh, counting a whole lot of measures of rest, huh? A lot of the, you know, whispering, like, what? <laughs> what, what's the count? Uh, yep. Or your friend asks you, and you're like, "I was just gonna ask you." <laughs> when he looks at you, then you know it's too late. Uh, the conductor. Anyway, um, that's great. So I I do want to talk to you about your live setup when you play. As we know, the ukulele is not very loud. You play with drums, which are very loud. Um, what else do you usually play with in terms of your sound, like amp, pedal wise, and then usually what do you find yourself playing with? other instrument wise so for my own setup i have um i always go through a a reverb pedal Mm -hmm. um and then i often go through a delay pedal that's sort of on and off that goes into more often than not it's an acoustic image amp amplifier Mm -hmm. i mean i've got a, a few different kinds so i couldn't say which one it is all the time um and then that amplifier feeds um, some speaker cabinets that that I I started building speaker cabinets. Oh, cool! My, like messing around with, um, you know what? It, it started with starting to travel around, and of mm-hmm. course, if the uh, the instrument is small enough to throw on the mm-hmm. overhead, then I wanted 
a speaker cabinet that I could throw in my, in my suitcase. Mm. Um, and so I just kind of on a lark started to, um, to mess around with that. And so I, I built, it's like a little eight inch speaker mm. cabinet, um, that is small enough to put in the suitcase. And I really found that I think it even, it sounds a little bit better than the bigger speakers in a lot of cases because it, it, it only replicates the frequency range of, mm-hmm. of the instrument. Um, it kind of gets out, gets rid of all of the lower end frequencies that you might have from a bigger speaker. Mm. Um, so yeah, I tend to use, I tend to use the, the smaller speaker cabinet. Um, so what did I say? A couple of effects. Delay, reverb, custom um, speaker cabinets. Very cool. Uh, 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 acoustic amplifier and then and then into a little speaker cabinet. Oh, so nothing else too fancy like flangers or no, <laughs> phasers? No, not, not or really. T- I mean, well, so <laughs> that, that's, I mean, you can see all of the pedals and stuff that I have here. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it depends on what the gig is. <laughs> mm, that's true. That's the most important part. Do you ever use volume pedals? Um. I used to. I don't mm. know. Yeah, volume pedals are kind of uh they're handy, but they're not it's not like you always need them, right? There's something about the portability of the instrument. Yeah. Right? And it's like once you have the volume pedal and mm-hmm. this pedal and then maybe you want to have that pedal and you don't even plug it in, yeah. but then yeah, you all of a sudden, I mean, like we were talking about before, like it's, I'm always going through that. Yeah. <laughs> the bag of the pedal board is just it's getting bigger. It's growing. Do I need this pedal? Yes. No. Maybe so. Yeah. So in the last couple of years, I've been trying to do exactly the opposite, like just mm-hmm. whittle it down to, to a couple of things. Yeah. Um, yeah mm-hmm. So reverb pedal, delay pedal. And then um, what do you do for preamps? Is it usually external or just built in? No. Not nothing. Just yeah. The, the amp? The, exactly. It's got. Uh, so I use that MySci pickup that's okay. got the the onboard preamp. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have anything for volume exactly right it's it's just to boost the signal um nice. and then all the rest of that stuff you know it's convenient tone shaping and all that uh, mm. just take care of do you ever rely just on the pa or is it just too uncertain most um, of the time hmm. no i never rely just on the pa i, I always have the amplifier set up mm. um, a lot control. of that is force of habit because just as often as not, I'm playing with other people, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's all about being able to control the sound and the dynamics between instruments mm-hmm. on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so having an amplifier is necessary, I feel like, to, to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I, I think just because that that's more often than not my playing situation, mm-hmm. even when I go and do solo uh gigs then that's that's just what i default to because because mm-hmm. i know how to how to do that how to how to you know control the sound that way mm. so speaking of playing with other people what do you most often find yourself playing with instrument wise mostly trio mostly mm-hmm. so ukulele bass and drums oh, that's cool yeah for the most part yeah for me i get a lot of pressure uh feeling like i need to play the melody and the harmony uh-huh. and i can do it but I just have a fourth person, you know, someone on guitar or keys or whatever. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, piano's kind of imposing because they can very easily play chords and melody. Pushy someplace you like, don't necessarily exactly, want to go. You know, huh? they've got 88 strings. I've right. got four. <laughs> oh, man. But that's cool. So you definitely have the mind for 
putting the melody and the harmony there already. Um, I loved the the book that you have on your site with the um, uh, what is it chord melody for the vocally <laughs> challenged or vocally <laughs> adverse? The vocally challenged, something That's right. like that. Um, <laughs> very inspiring. Um, another book you had. Uh, going back to arrangements very quickly. Uh-huh. Um, you arranged box cello suite oh, number right. one, um, and I absolutely loved the way it sounded. Uh, because I've heard it a lot on ukulele, and most of the time I don't think it's that great. Obviously, it's not cello, but for the ukulele itself, somehow I feel like your version is the best. Could you talk about well, how you did that? Kind of you. Thank, thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, so it was a student uh, of of mine actually that brought that piece to me, and and it was uh, he sent me the tablature for it. Um, And it was something like that where where you would have multiple notes on any given string. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, when you have that, you have the, the notes end up being pretty short because I have to, of course, get to the next note that's sitting on the same string. So what I tried to do was to try and plot it all out so that you could have... each of those notes ringing out against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I plotted it out so that each of those ends up being a chord instead of just like a, a, a linear melody, mm-hmm. if, that, if that makes sense. Yeah. It, instead of... Instead of playing it like that, like I said, sort of more like a linear melody, uh, in, in every single measure that I could, what I tried to do with that arrangement was to turn it into a chord so that you could pick the notes out of the chord more like a fingerstyle mm-hmm. sort of arrangement, if that makes sense. And the notes will ring. They're exactly, ringing together. so that you get them okay. to, to ring out together. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Thank very you. cool. You know, I love that one. I mean, it doesn't compare to the cello. No, fi- I'm sorry. I'm, no offense to the cello uh, or the ukulele, but you know, yeah, it's a great song. I mean, an ukulele is probably always cheaper than a cello, so <laughs> a good one anyway. Yeah. So, last question. Um, I'm sure you get this a lot, but you were in Ukulele Magazine and you talked about this Goldilocks strap, and I was wondering what is the Goldilocks strap? You said it's perfect. But I couldn't find it online. What is it? <laughs> yeah, the Goldilocks strap has taken on a life of, of its own, to say the least. Um, right. So Heidi Swedberg sent me a little interview to to do that, um, to 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 answer questions about that article about straps. Um, and I actually I do have this strap that I've had, um, God, for almost twenty years. It's it's. Uh, uh, I was working at a guitar store at the time and just kind of saw this very cool and very old-looking strap uh, hanging around in the repair shop for the longest time. Um, and I convinced myself that it didn't belong to anybody else, and so it ended <laughs> up going going home with me one day. Um, and and it's, it's, just, uh, it's just the perfect width. It's not too thick like a guitar stra- strap, and it's not too thin. Like most ukulele straps that I find, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of tapers down too, uh, so that it, it's not too bulky up where your hand uh, gets up 
uh, at the heel of the neck. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, where you can find them, uh, I don't. Maybe I should patent the Goldilocks <laughs> strap. Uh, Start a design. new strap company. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Maybe. Like so the, 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 that's what I said to Heidi is that you know it's not too thick and it's not too thin mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it's it's kind of like the Goldilocks strap, but mm. I think. I think that answer got uh, got kind of <laughs> twisted and turned around to make it sound like it was a brand name. <laughs> mm, it could be, but um, so it's more about the it's perfect. It's a perfect strap, right? Exactly. Oh, okay, yeah. that's great. Yeah, I've heard that advice about um, a strap that holds it where it always is when you play for bass guitar for acoustic guitar. I honestly don't think about it a lot for ukulele because most of the time I don't play with a strap because I like to be able to just put it down. But sometimes I don't want it to go anywhere. Yeah, so it's like that's interesting for me. It's the opposite. Like that's that's why I wear a strap all the time. Like even when I'm sitting down mm-hmm. to play, so that it is in the same position. Yeah, all the time. Um, and yeah, the whole idea is that standing up or sitting down. That that if you have the strap set up, uh, at least the way that I try to set it up is so that it it is always the same, regardless of whether I'm standing up or sitting down. Mm. So that. All that muscle memory feels the same. Yeah, everything's exactly where it should be. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So, um, do you have any? Uh, before we go, do you have any upcoming events or projects you're working on that you want people to know about? Um, Besides yeah, the Goldilocks well, strap, the Goldilocks strap. Yeah, that'll be coming out soon, sooner, <laughs> sooner or later. Um, well, so uh, it's just been a couple of months since I released that Duke and Uke project. So. Like I said, all of the videos uh, are up and running for that. Um, I'll also be doing some video lessons for each mm-hmm. of the um, the arrangements in the in that book. Cool. Um, so those will be coming up in in the next couple of months. Um, and then I also have, like I said, um, that was just the first of this project um, that I had in mind. Um, uh, I guess you heard it here first. I'm I'm currently working on Bird on You. So oh, we're gonna nice. do Charlie Charlie Parker next. Awesome. Yeah, so that'll, that'll, all that'll, the... that'll be in the workings. That's great. That's yep. exciting. Yeah. All right. Well, Paul Hemmings, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me, Abby. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, there you have it. I had a great time chatting with Paul, and I hope that you found that insightful. I have to admit, though, as I listened back to our conversation, I wish we had time for more questions. I don't know. How do you feel? Was there anything you wished we talked more about? Let me know. You can use the feedback link in the show notes or send an email to podcast at ukuleleabe.com. If you'd like to support the show, help it grow, and get bonus audio in your podcast feed as it's released, sign up as a subscriber in the tip jar. Your support helps with the creation, production, and promotion of the show. Thank you so much to everyone that is already contributing to the show. You really make this a viable endeavor for me. And thank you all for listening. I'll talk to you next month. Aloha. Mm